0: Hello and welcome into the Feels Like Forty Five podcast. I'm Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa as the regular season mercifully comes to an end. Dustin, how are you this evening?
1: Basically dead, Cade. Football's over. The season ended bad. What I mean, what do I have to live for?
0: That, well, that's, there's nothing more to look forward to. That's the unfortunate <laughs> reality that we, you know, as soon as the season ends, you ask yourself those big questions in life. So
1: no, <laughs> no I got it. Hey, that, that's not, that's not how we are on this podcast though. We, <laughs> even though even though the season ended poorly and rainy and gross and no fans in the stands because of the weather, which I, I don't blame anybody for. I didn't go to the game. I, and, yeah. And, but we are excited because you know what that means. We've Got a bowl game to talk about. Yep. We're bringing back the transfer portal segment. We'll be talking recruiting. We'll be talking basketball. So I'm ha- going to have just as much fun probably as football season in these, I, next, uh, these next few weeks. Well, especially
0: the way the season ended. This, this is already a net upgrade. So we're, we're not That's talking so about true. previous losses. We're going to do that for the last time this season. But this is already a net upgrade from what we were doing. But I have a question for you, Dustin,
1: who are we firing? <laughs> are we firing? We're actually <laughs> going to get into that segment. Probably when we do our kind of look back at the season, it's going to be interesting, Kate. I, I think there's going to be some shakeup on the offensive coaching staff, but I don't want to, I, I do want to bury the lead because we'll talk about that later. Cause we're obviously going to get to our review here. This week, I know I like to ask that question as a joke in the beginning of the podcast, but this week it may not be firing, but I think there'll be some moving on from people.
0: Yeah, uh, and that <laughs> it's usually it's been your line the the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I wanted to get along here because I think it is the question that everybody's asking right now, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. I would say we were we were as vocal last week about uh, some some things on the offensive line as we've been all season, I think. Um, we're, we will talk about that later and more excited about that. But ultimately, we've got one more loss to recap. And I think OSU's main issues this season were on full display against West Virginia. I think everything they struggled with was boiled down into a pot and served to us on Saturday. and And West Virginia said, eat this.
1: Yeah, no, I think you I think you hit it right on the head. West Virginia wins 24-19. It was sloppy. I think both of our score predictions were around that score. I think I said 27-20 OSU. I think you had a similar kind of score around that prediction as well. And it it ended up sloppy, gross. It was raining. The weather was bad. In the second half, it was pouring rain. You heard the coaches talk about it after the game. It really affected throwing the ball, catching the ball. Guys are making tackles and sliding all across the field. It was just a, a weird game to end the season on. You're playing West Virginia. Who's had a strange season themselves. And one thing that we nailed in the preview pod is West Virginia came out in this game and played a bunch of dudes. They hadn't been playing all season. You see Nico, uh, Mar- 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 or how is it? Marky all Marky all. Yeah. I kept saying that wrong the other day when I was talking about him, Marky all comes in. Neil Brown says after the game, that was the plan all along to put him in on the third series. So th- <laughs> we called that one. Jalen Anderson, who we mentioned on the podcast, the freshman running back, he gets 15 carries, which is more than Tony Mathis and Justin Johnson, who had been kind of their two main running backs after Donaldson went down. And you see some some guys switching in on uh, on defense for them. I think a couple guys went down with injury. So it was just a weird game. They had nothing to play for, not being bowl eligible, automatically bowl eligible. And it just didn't end up in OSU's favor, even though they had a few chances to win that game.
0: No question, they had a few chances. Unfortunately, one of the things that Oklahoma State has struggled with most of the season is is converting when they have a chance. So a lot of times we saw that they they were either buried in the first quarter like they were against Oklahoma, KU, K-State, but Oklahoma State's in this game. They actually find some success running the football in this game, but once they got down into the red zone, True freshman quarterback making his second career start. Ultimately, the field shrinks and it gets a little bit harder to convert. That's where a Spencer Sanders does a lot for you—the ability to move the football with the quarterback's legs. They didn't have that this week against West Virginia, um, and ultimately, West Virginia, as I said, kind of in the open, they were able to do the things that Oklahoma State has struggled with, and they did them well. I mean, they hammered Oklahoma State on counter to you know breakaway touchdown runs really like home run hitters. Nobody's there. Um, you can credit. You can chalk that up to an inexperienced secondary, chalk that up to some poor run fits from the linebackers, defensive line. Um, and then ultimately Oklahoma State's youth on the offensive side and injuries up front and lack of depth, frankly, caught up to them in this game. And it really was on full display, um, you know, in front of a, a packed boon picking stadium.
1: And it wasn't just on full display on the broadcast, in the stadium, like when you're watching the game, Coach Dunn said after the game they didn't think they were going to be be able to run the football. Dom wasn't available. Jaden Nixon's banged up. Ollie's been banged up. You don't have a lot of guys available. DeAndre Jackson, you know, he's he's healthy, but is a first-year guy who hasn't played a ton of Power 5 college football. He didn't get a ton of reps at AM. and And they come out and... They are looking to throw the football, even in the rain. Only two of the first 15 plays, you know, which we talk about the first 8, 10, 12, 15 plays are normally the script. Of those first 15 plays, only two of them were called runs. Also, I believe there were two labeled as runs because I think they were sacks. But you could tell they they didn't think they were going to be able to run the football. Jason Brooks out with illness to start the game. He ends up coming in the game later. You got Maholski starting on the on the offensive line. You got Preston Wilson who you can tell is still not a hundred percent. And they just their script was to try to open things up by throwing the ball early. You have Garrett Rangel a little bit off. We've seen him be a little bit inaccurate now in two straight in both of the games he's played. There were some drops from the wide receivers and they just weren't able to get into a rhythm There's two plays. There's a throw to John Paul Richardson, one throw early to Braden Johnson. I think if those get caught, they're not great throws, but if those get caught, it may have gotten the offense into a little bit of a rhythm. I think that one to JP would have been like a 25-yard gain. He kind of had to dive for, but it hit him in the hands. And it it just wasn't Oklahoma State's day through the air. And that was the game plan. And the fact that they weren't able to hit on those early throws – and West Virginia was able to get some pressure without bringing a ton of five-plus-man pressures. It was it was a tough day overall for to ask Garrett
0: Rangel to perform well. I mean, no question. It was a pretty predictable result once you factored all of that in. Injuries, lack of depth up front on the offensive line. Youth at receiver, youth at quarterback. Oh, and it's a torrential downpour. I mean, none of your receivers have gloves on. Their jerseys are dripping wet. Um, no wonder they struggled to move the ball through the air. Quite frankly, uh, the under in this game was the easiest bet I made all year. And quite frankly, I should have put the mortgage on it because that was never going 62 points was never going to hit. So I know we're not talking uh, gambling here, but seriously, the conditions truly, uh, affected Garrett Rangel and the entire offense's ability to, uh, to operate effectively Ultimately, I wonder what the game looks like without that, because I think they were able to do some good things, scheme some guys open the drops. You know, there were several of them, notably a lot by Braden Johnson, a couple from John Paul. Um, You wonder what the game looks like if it's a, you know, a crystal clear sunny day. I would I mean, obviously, West Virginia moves the ball a little more efficiently. So who really knows? But um, yeah, not making excuses. It was it was not a good day.
1: Yeah, and scheme-wise, they come out, like I said, throwing the football. We saw a lot of empty early. We saw quads, which we haven't seen a lot. Think of trips, but add another guy over there, so four guy receivers on the same side of the field instead of three. It's something Oklahoma State has used in the offense, just not a lot. They were pretty heavy RPO, either pre-snap or post-snap reads, early in the game. And then you see – and some zone read stuff. And then they kind of went away from that as the game went on. You saw the fumble on a kind of zone read type play, which was really more on the the fumbled snap than it was on the mesh. But they went to just some straight run. And West Virginia, they were – you know, Gundy said he thought they were going to play a lot of man and blitz a lot. They really didn't. They did play some man, they did blitz a little bit, but they were in, they kind of went back to their base look, their quarters. I saw some cover two, looked like they were in cover six at times, which is quarters to one side of the field, cover two to the other. And what they did, their defensive backs, we saw OU line up in outside leverage, so outside of the wide receiver. And what they were trying to do there is take away the fade ball and kind of funnel things back inside to the too high safety look. And you saw the confusion it caused in the Bedlam game. You had Spencer Sanders throw the deep ball when Bray ran the hitch and Bryson and Green got in a situation like that. And it was because these guys were aligned like that and then bailing off the snap. Well, in this game, West Virginia decides they're going to go inside leverage. They're going to give you the fade ball. They're taking away Garrett Rangel's bread and butter from the KU game, the slant and the quick hitch. And they're saying, hey, why don't you throw the deep comeback, especially to the field side, the deep comeback, the deep out, and the fade ball in the rain, you true freshman quarterback. And even even a banged-up Spencer Sanders was going to have trouble with those throws in the rain. So I, I liked West Virginia's game plan. It made a lot of sense. It, it caused Oklahoma State to have some issues early, especially since they wanted to come out throwing the football. They weren't given those kind of RPO glance looks that they've had in pre- prior games because of that alignment. So it's interesting that West Virginia came out and did that and they didn't go heavy man heavy blitz like we've seen teams do a lot to Oklahoma State on the back half of the year. Well and,
0: and part of me wonders if that's you know one I, I would I would wonder what Oklahoma State could have done differently. There was a lot of talk about like, oh good, you're dropping your true freshman quarterback back in the rain. Quite frankly, the way West Virginia was lined up and Oklahoma State's utter inability to run the football up to that point in the season, it's like, I don't know what else they're really supposed to try to line up and do. I mean, establishing the run this season was like banging your head up against the wall. So I don't know if that's actually better than dropping your quarterback back, you know, eight times in a row in the rain. I really don't know. Like, that's an honest discussion that we should have. But, you know, to be honest with you, the fact that West Virginia was able to take that away, I thought Rain through a few that were right on the money and then otherwise through a couple that were really not very good at all. You again, wonder what this looks like on a, on a sunny day. We saw some accuracy issues um, in Lawrence and we also saw some absolute dimes in Lawrence. So um, I think it's a, a lot of it can be chalked up to youth and we'll see how things go as he progresses in his career. I think after two games told my brother, this as we were watching the game. I, I, I think he's, done more than enough I mean I I thought to be effective as a college quarterback I've, I've been pleasantly surprised with his play as a whole given what he doesn't have at his disposal right now
1: yeah th- there's things that you like and I know you and I have talked about this kind of off the pod in the KU game he showed it as well he looks confident yep you know he's a guy that can come out and throw two picks in his first five pass attempts in Lawrence and then throw so for over 300 on the day, come back only throw one more pick and a t- couple touchdowns, and make some really good throws. He still, and you know, this is something when I did the when I wrote about him coming out of high school, watching his game film. He knows how to read a defense. That's why I think they felt comfortable putting in some him in some of those RPO situations. He's okay going with tempo, which I know makes things easier sometimes for the quarterback. But in this game, they slowed it down as well. They did some check with me. They slowed it down, and he seemed fine with that. His decision-making, he's not afraid to go through his progression and just kind of fire the ball blindly to his third read without even really looking, which is a little scary at times. But he knows the guy's supposed to be there. He knows what the coverage is. And he knows that that throw is going to be open. So he makes the throw in this game. He was a little inaccurate, so they didn't always hit. I think, you know, he obviously needs to get some weight, get in the weight room, get a little bit stronger, maybe a little bit more confident running the football. And then he's got to get better with this accuracy. I think it's timing, working with these receivers, working in game. You know, Gundy always says it takes 15 games. Is that what it is for a quarterback? Yeah, that's what he says mature so i think there's some things like you said uh talking to your brother there's some things to build off of and there's some things to be you know the inaccuracy thing is a little bit scary but it's not it's not too big of a deal for a true freshman quarterback to so show some inaccuracy issues in the rain in this well, game in his second ever start first start was
0: on the road in a you know a ku's going for ball eligibility second start is in maybe the hardest rain we've seen in, in Oklahoma in a couple of years. That was insane. Um, so I'm I'm still willing to see a couple more outings from Garrett before. I think we you know worry too much about that accuracy issue. What else, Dustin? I mean, how badly do we really want to break down the offensive line play, wide receiver play? I mean, th- this is a – it really was a microcosm of what we've seen previously this season.
1: I think we just need to talk about when they made – the in-game adjustment, which I think was, I don't know what coach did it, but I'm going to attribute it to the offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn. They were going heavy 11 personnel early. They switch. They stay in 11. It was actually their most 11 personnel in all of conference play. The next highest was the Baylor game. There were 76% out of 11 personnel. So the one cowboy back, uh, three receivers, one running back, and the quarterback back there. So what they did is they took the cowboy back out of that h back spot which yep. is you know slightly lined up off the tackle not in the backfield but kind of to the side of the tackle and put him split wide into a second like a second slot receiver so four wide two on each side and they ran inside zone which they ran pretty much all game the offensive line would kind of seal everybody in the cowboy back mainly owens would come and crack back on the overhang player, the linebacker, or the nickel safety. And then all instead of it being an RPO, all of the receivers would block. What this did is it created, and I put this out on Twitter, it would create a wall for the running back. And even though it's inside zone, you could tell they were told, hey, th- you're going to be able to bust this outside. So, right when the running back gets the ball, they're looking directly yep. to the perimeter. And it's it almost is like an outside zone play, but just the running. It's like a stretch play, but just the running back's running stretch. Everybody else is blocking inside zone. And Ollie Gordon was incredible at running this and he actually did a good job of when the offensive line was able to maybe open up a hole a crease in the interior he hit that as well I thought Ollie's vision was great you know he missed a couple holes here and there but he ran it 17 times for 136 yards which was the most productive day on the ground all season and way more productive I think it was Yes, it was the only back to go over a hundred yards in conference play because Dom (laughs) went over a hundred, but it was in the Arizona state game. That's an incredible stat, but it felt that way
0: in the moment. It was like, Oh my gosh, where has this been all season? Right. It's like, it was like, it finally rained is what it felt like. So.
1: (laughs) And and if Deandre Jackson, you know, improves his vision a little bit, he probably adds another 20, 30 yards on his 56 yards. And then you're looking at an even bigger day on the ground. He really, really struggles finding the crease, which the creases aren't very big, and they haven't been this season from the Oklahoma State offensive line. But if he improves that, he the only reason he ended up still gaining yards is because he runs so powerfully. He just smashes through people. Yeah. So he's he always falls forward. So that's great, but I thought Ollie did an amazing job. Jaden Nixon went down with injury during the game. He was already banged up coming in. So we didn't get to see a lot from him. And then not a ton of design stuff from Garrett Rangel. A few QB draws here and there. He had the one, I think one or two scrambles that didn't go for many yards. And then Preston Wilson is credited with a rush for his fumbled snap. But I thought, I thought the line when they made that change, they were able to do their job. Not so much that they were dominant blocking, but they were able to seal guys off and give Ollie some space to bust things to the side. He showed a ton of promise. I'm really excited for him next season. And that was all I really wanted to hit as far as running backs. But I thought we couldn't leave the offense without talking about Ollie Gordon. I, I'm, I'm
0: glad you did, because I think you just answered what a lot of people were wondering is how how does something like that happen? Love the breakdown and appreciative of it. I thought Ollie's elusiveness in the open field was to be commended. I thought he ran hard. At times, I I was a little skeptical of how hard he was running. Granted, it's really hard to know that when you're getting touched in the backfield just about every time you touch the ball. This time, right. it was actually lanes to run through. It felt a lot different. Um, I think he firmly cemented his spot on next year next year's depth chart to me. I think this is his turn to be the RB one in this offense based on what you saw improvements have to be made on the offensive line and they need to be dramatic for Ollie to reach his full potential. But I really loved like effort. I loved how hard he ran. I loved his elusiveness. I thought he offered a lot in that department that we hadn't seen most of the year.
1: And offensive line wise, everybody that I've seen kind of writing articles and things like that, not, not saying they're incorrect. They're attributing Jason Brooks coming in fighting through his illness, which is awesome. You can tell he really loves football to be able to come in through that. Gundy City practiced like half a day last week. For Brooks coming in to help the run game, but actually they made that change to that 11 personnel two-by-two look late in the second quarter, and Materko was still in, and Ollie busted a couple of those runs. Let me just double-check and make sure I'm not, not telling you something incorrect. Yeah, he had an 8, 13, and 7-yard run late in the second quarter. So they actually made that change. I believe the reason they brought Brooks in was for pass pro because they gave up four sacks in the first half and then zero in the second. And a lot of those sacks and a lot of those QB hurries were leaks through the left side of the offensive line. And not to call out Taylor Matirko here, but he's at that left guard spot and that – a lot of the leaks were coming through the middle. So it's either got to be on him or Preston Wilson. And I think what the coaching staff thought was let's make this change. Brooks is, you know, feel, feels good enough to go in. We think he'll be just as good, if not better in the run game, but we think he'll be an upgrade in pass pro. And I think that's actually why they made that change more for pass pro than run, which is different than how we've kind of evaluated Brooks throughout the season when he came in, I thought he did really well in pass row a couple of misses here and there, but much better than it looked in the first half. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to a theme you talked about
0: on last week's podcast after Bedlam is, is really, why has he not been a mainstay on the offensive line all season? I still don't have an answer for you. Um, and I know you don't either, but it is something that needs to be discussed. And it's something that needs to be scrutinized because you, four sacks to zero sacks, is not really an anomaly, I don't think. Especially when you factor in, you go back and look. It is, it was glaringly obvious where where the issues were. Again, you said not calling anybody out. I'm not either. Um, I think he was in a really tough position, but the change was made and things got better immediately. And it's not the first time that's happened. So why wasn't the change made sooner? It's the yeah, it's main it's question. It's right.
1: really... And we'll get into it more, I know, in the season breakdown, and we got to do it a lot last week, so I'm not trying to rehash the same convo. But I think without trying to sound hot takey, and it may not even be a hot take, I think it's the most upsetting and disappointing personnel decision of the season not to have Brooks as one of the starting guards after Cole Birmingham went down before the season. And it kind of just piles on to the fact that they played musical chairs on the offensive line through the non-con last season, so it's basically two straight seasons where they've had a lot of trouble figuring out who the best five are. Yeah,
0: we'll we'll put a pin in that because I'm really excited to talk more at length about it. You know, anything left on the offensive side of the ball, we can probably We're, slip
1: it. Your guy Presley had another good game. Yeah. I you know I think he had a couple. He maybe would have liked to bring in. But again, some inaccuracy on those throws. You had Jaden Bray out with the thumb, Bryson Green's out with the shoulder, which I thought he hurt his leg, but apparently it was a shoulder injury. Stephon Johnson was back from his ankle injury. Langston Anderson apparently was available, but he didn't really play. Kale Kavanis was available. I didn't really see him very much. Not a ton to say there. I actually thought Owens had a great game at Cowboy back, being able to kind of crack back block. From that slot receiver position, he did that really well. Stefan is a really good blocker. I think that's underrated yeah. to not call out from a true freshman. Braden, on the other hand, is not the best blocker. I know we've talked about that. He struggles at times out there. And the only other thing I wanted to note, Cade, was due to those injuries, Stefan played X and Braden played Z. So Stefan had been playing Z when he had gotten in there for Braden Johnson. So that just shows you the versatility. Of this true freshman to be able to play both receiver spots in his first season ever, and not like he was getting a ton of reps at both snaps in game, he's being called in due to injuries. Very impressive. I'm really excited for Stephon Johnson for Boogie moving well, forward. This is this is great. We got a question actually from our friend Justin
0: Southwell. Believe in Oak State Pod. Uh, you all know him and love him. He asked, "What was one of the kind of bright spots you will look forward to?" We'll actually get to the full question. But Stephon Johnson is going to be an answer that I provide. I mean, he, when he was in the game, for the most part, he did some freshman things, but he provided a spark, and I love what you said there. That versatility that he's shown and his – I I tweeted it. That dude's got an edge to him that I don't think really exists elsewhere in that wide receiver room. I think John Paul's got a little bit of that to him. But Stephon was not taking – anything from West Virginia on Saturday and it showed he played with an edge and I think that's rare for a true freshman like that so really enjoyed what
1: he did most of this year and I I do appreciate John Paul leading the team in targets it seemed the fact that the true freshman quarterback I know he didn't have a big game yards wise I think he only had like seven yards or something but the fact that when the play broke down Rangel felt comfortable throwing it away near John Paul just tells you how you know much of a talented receiver he is yeah. <laughs> so, and and you've been called awesome.
0: you haven't been calling for it all season you've just been calling it for the last 11 games it's
1: like can we get the ball to John Paul more yeah Kate uh, I really don't have any other major notes in the offense the pass pro was really bad in the first half like I said I think across the offensive line Etienne Springfield run blocking was good as the game progressed but yeah I, I just I can't give any of those guys a positive pass pro grade from the first half. Yeah. And like I said, I I don't really have a ton on the receivers. They only completed 18 passes. One was to Nixon, one was to Owens, and one was to Ollie. So you're only talking about 15 completions to receivers in this game. So
0: Yeah. Well, so let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, West Virginia comes in, Garrett Green. Tony Mathis really don't play at all in this game. Garrett Green, we saw a little bit left the game with a concussion. It appeared. You bring in uh Miracle. Or did I just mess up what I told you earlier? Let's the, just call him Nico. Final? Let's call him, let's call him Nico. How about that? It's not a hard name. I think we're just dumb. <laughs> Markiel. I just I just <laughs> figured it out in my head. Yeah. But <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, they bring in a new quarterback, get some things going on the ground, and it gives that interior defensive line. Xavier Benson has some issues. Young safety group has some issues. And ultimately, West Virginia just hits on a couple of plays, and that's enough to bury Oklahoma State due to kind of what we talked about on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, and West Virginia gave themselves a little bit of a kind of wild card here. Nico, they said they were going to switch him in and out in the game coming in. So Oklahoma State had no film on him at all. It gives him a little bit of an edge there just to kind of throw that little wrinkle out there. But I thought Oklahoma State handled it well. The quarterbacks combined went 10 of 23 for 77 yards, one interception. That's 43% completion percentage. Green threw it 14 times. Uh, Nico threw it nine. That's not great. And then on the ground, they go for 250 on 41 carries. <laughs> That's with sacks included. 6.1 average. But, Kate, if you take out – look, I'll be fair. I'll take out the sacks and the kneels, but I'm also going to take out all three of those big plays, all three of those huge runs. That's 122 rushing yards on 35 attempts, 3.5 yards per carry. So if you could figure out a way to limit the explosives, it was not that bad of a day from the rush defense. 3.5 yards per carry on 35 attempts. The 35 other attempts, 3.5 yards per carry. And I, but I th- they end the day at six point one because of those three runs. That was the head scratcher of the day for me was how does how do
0: you cause it felt that way, even without you having said that, it felt that way in the moment. It's like, well, sheesh, where did that come from? And then a few plays later, it happens again. So clearly, West Virginia found something that Oklahoma State either wasn't prepared for or couldn't adjust to on the fly after the first time it happened. And so yeah, that is what the game felt like at the time. But again, you you've got to figure out a way to what you just said, figure out a way to limit those explosive plays, because that's been a constant this season for Oklahoma state. There, there have been guys running loose in the second level untouched for 12 straight weeks now. So this is not a new thing. This is something that has gotten worse. And, and, Again, there are questions to be answered, and we'll get to that here when we kind of break down the season. But, yeah, you're exactly right. It was a confusing, frustrating couple of moments in that game against what was otherwise a a pretty successful day uh, defending the run for the Oklahoma State defense.
1: And the the thing is, I really liked the game plan in this game. There was a lot of two-down, two-leo looks. This was the most we've seen since the TCU game. Which is, you know, something Knowles did at times last year, but it was also something that Derek Mason kind of brought with him from his previous stops, especially his last stop at Auburn. And it's something I think you gotta do when you've got guys like Brock Martin and Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, who I know is out with injury, Ben Kapinski. You wanna get these guys on the field together. There was a lot of press, tight coverage from the cornerbacks. The most we have seen all season. I don't have that tracked statistically, but I know for a fact that was the most we've seen all season. We've seen them do press to the boundary, sometimes press with both, but they were in press, I want to say 65, 70% Seriously? of this game. A lot of man, a lot of cover one, and a lot of blitzing, a lot of mugged linebackers a lot of that third down look where everybody's up near the line of scrimmage. Are they going to blitz? Are they going to drop throughout the season? We've seen them drop and drop eight in the coverage a lot in this game. They mixed it up and I really liked it. I thought it really, it, it confused green, but it especially confused Nico. They were having a lot of trouble throwing the ball and kind of finding their reads, especially, I mean, obviously it was pouring rain in the second half too, but I really liked how Mason schemed up this game. And what you said, what you alluded to, how West Virginia found these holes, one of them, I think they realized this after they saw how much man OSU was playing. They went with the swing draw RPO, which we've seen OSU run. The running back runs a swing route out to the flat. And if the Mike linebacker, who would be Mason Cobb in this situation, follows him, which he will in man coverage, then. The quarterback takes off on the draw and he's following two guys releasing upfield to block the other linebacker. If he stays, if the Mike linebacker stays, the quarterback throws the swing route. The wide receivers block on the outside. You hopefully gain some big yardage out there. Or if not, you're probably picking up three, four, five. Because they were in man, every single time I counted them run it three times and they almost 60 yards total on those three plays. One Jeez. of them was a huge touchdown run by Green. Cobb followed him out there every time they made an adjustment late. Daniels took him and Cobb kind of stayed, not late, I guess, because Daniels went out of the game late, but they made an adjustment at one point where Daniels took him, but Cobb still vacated the box enough to give up like an eight yard gain. So they hit him with that. And then the stretch place, the outside zone, if your defensive lineman, you know, we were talking to our good friend, Adam one about this. If your interior defensive lineman can't get upfield and reroute the running back, He's just going to take the ball to the sideline until he finds a cutback lane. Yeah. And when he hits that cutback lane, he's going to bust it for two fifty yard runs, just like Jalen Anderson did. Yeah. hundred percent. And especially, I
0: mean, even with a Thorpe semifinalist back there and in, in Jason Taylor, Kendall Daniels for all that he's done this year, it doesn't really matter when you can't be disruptive on the defensive line against that play. We saw Oklahoma state, just carve up defensive lines last year with that exact same play and really with the exact same approach. It's like that—that that is inside zone and that is the key to defending it. Oklahoma State struggled with it all year. They struggled with counter, but that was one of the, the plays that in the moment when you can't, when you can't rewind it or you see it live, you're like, what in the world happened there? Those cutback lanes will kill you against inside zone if you don't have a physical defensive line.
1: Yeah, really overall in the game to that point, I thought most everybody on the defense played pretty well except for the interior defensive line. I even thought the defensive ends played well, the Leos played well. The linebackers are put in a terrible spot on the stretch plays Yeah, if they're just kind of sitting there getting crushed by offensive linemen because the defensive linemen can't reroute the running back and let them kind of make... Yes, filling into him back there. Yeah. So it's just, it's really tough for those linebackers when you're doing that. I I just think I'm really worried. I know we'll get into it next season. I think there's some promise with Colin Clay at that kind of three tech spot. I have, I just don't know. You know, Sioniasi has been really solid for most of the year. He's going to be gone. Samuela has an extra year, but is he going to be back? Who do you have that can fill that nose spot? And you really need someone that could be maybe even an upgrade from Samuela and Asi. And I, I don't know who that guy is on the roster right now. So just to kind of wrap up the D line, I, I thought Brock and Colin played well. I thought Walterscheid played well. Just Samuela struggled. Ross struggled. Clay did a few good things. I thought Asi it wasn't his best game, wasn't his worst game. Yeah. Well, you 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 make a great point about what do you do, what do, you do at
0: nose guard? I don't know. I mean, the portal has to be the first and only answer to that um, because we don't have enough. It's kind of like the offense that we've talked about you know, previously. I don't know if you can run things back the way they were in 2022. I don't think you can run things back on the defensive line the way they were this year. I, I think there is somewhere on every level of the defense that needs to be looked at as a portal opportunity that's not it's nothing groundbreaking I don't think especially nowadays I think really every position group has a portal opportunity to it but you look at defensive line that they, they quite frankly should be looking at more than one um, on the interior. they should be looking at linebacker. they could be looking at safety as well so there is there's a lot of answers that need to be had as we get into the off season and as the portal opens up here uh here in just a, a week or so
1: yeah completely agree and w- one spot that they're at least for sure at for this season and going into the future seasons you know is the Mike linebacker spot the, yeah. the middle linebacker spot in Mason Cobb I thought he did a great job in this game. Derek Mason was blitzing on early downs. I pointed this out in the Twitter thread. So he's blitzing the run in the rain, especially when Nico was in, I thought this was a great game plan. Basically just gets you extra guys in there for the run. It can hurt you with RPO, but I, I don't think they were worried about it. And I think they had some kind of coverage things they were doing on the back end to take away those RPO throws. I thought that was awesome. They would bring Cobb off the strong side edge a lot too on early downs and on passing downs. He was able to make some tackles for loss in the backfield. I thought he played really well overall. I just didn't think Benson was terrible. He still got washed a few times. The thing is, I I think a lot of that falls back to the interior offensive line. (laughs) I, I want to I want to say, you know, on this play, you know, the first time I watch it, man, where was Benson at on that? And then I look, oh, he got absolutely destroyed by two (laughs) offensive linemen. He's the only linebacker in the middle of the field on that play. Especially on those draw runs. Both blockers are releasing up to him. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was horrible. I think these last two games, the second half of last game and then this game, he's looked better than he did earlier in the season. I think that's fair to say. Maybe, Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know. What do you think overall in the linebackers? Well, Cobb continues
0: to have a phenomenal season. I mean, he's he's been as advertised, if not better. Um, I, I really like what he's done. Benson has been the guy that we've kind of picked on because he's the easiest to know. Well, I shouldn't say this. I was going to say he's the easiest to notice on film. Cobb is that guy. But Benson, you kind of wonder what's going on. I think you're exactly right. I think the interior defensive line puts him in a really difficult position. I think a lot of the open field tackling issues are because nobody put a hand on the running back or quarterback coming at him. And that's a difficult spot for any linebacker. You're also comparing, I think I said this last week, He had two NFL linebackers on the roster last year. So let's reset expectations a little bit. I think this is more what you get at a college linebacker when you're not putting hands on people coming through into that second level of defense, it gets really tough. So I will give Benson a little more credit than I, you know, gave him previously in the year. However, there were a few moments in this game where it's just like, these are, these are continuous mistakes that we've seen. Um, I also, I I think I need a little more physicality. I think I need a little more get off of some of those, those blocks that he's receiving. Um, Again, we're coming from Malcolm Rodriguez here, but I think I need a little more there.
1: And I know both of these linebackers don't play that weak side linebacker spot, but the physicality you're talking about when Bishop got in in this game and we saw Nick Martin get in in some previous games, they do bring the physicality. I their thing is just the mental side of the game and that all clicking. But it you know, maybe going into next season, it's a little bit more of a battle for that spot if Vincent's even here, you know, he's put some some tweets out on that make you think maybe he's thinking about transferring. I, I don't know anything on that at all, but just from what I've seen on his social media, you've got Martin Bishop, you've got Jeff Robertson who was injured the entire season, you got Donovan Stevens on the roster. I think there's some young linebackers that have promise. I know we're not talking about next season yet, but just since we're on Benson, it's a position that I'm a little bit concerned about, not as concerned as interior defensive line, I kind of like what I have different than the interior defensive line. I kind of like what you have on the roster at linebacker that we haven't seen a lot from yet. There could be some you know gems there that we haven't just that need a little more time in the program as opposed to interior defensive line. I'm I'm not really sure that's on the roster right now.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I think you have more quality depth there than you do maybe at interior def- defensive line, but we listed off kind of two guys. So I-, I think linebacker, even if the roster stays status quo, let's say Cobb and Benson are both guys that are back next year. I still think you got to look there. <laughs> I-, I mean, I-, I don't know what the scholarship situation looks like. I know we'll get to that, but I, I think you got to take a really close, honest look at where things are at there.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, defensive backfield wise, Corey, didn't play very many snaps. He went out with injury. I Cam Smith came in and played pretty well. They didn't throw at him a ton, but he didn't have any major bust. Jabbar plays really well again. They, convert, they converted that one slant to Ford Wheaton early, but Jabbar was all over him. And then the next time they throw it, Jabbar's right there, so the throw goes a little high, and Jason Taylor picks it off. So... It it was almost like a karma type thing because Jabbar had perfect coverage the first time. He was physical and press, he was there the whole time, got his arm out, and it was just a good throw, good catch. And then the next time he was rewarded by helping cause the turnover. So I thought that was awesome. And I think the one knock that has been on Jabbar is is he strong enough? Because you know, he's not the biggest guy to play press coverage for an entire game. And maybe that's why Mason was playing him a little more off. Along with that being Mason's scheme at previous stops, Jabar showed in this game he can get hands on a guy. I think he needs to be a little more physical and keep improving there. But it's not—he's not afraid to get physical and put hands on the guy at the line of scrimmage.
0: No, we we talked about him last week as a guy who I think is probably all Big Twelve preseason next year. That physicality sure. could be the thing that like unlocks him as that. I, I, I totally agree with you. It's
1: noticeable against those bigger receivers.
0: It it just is. So I, I wonder if that's something he's going to be able
1: to improve on. Jason Taylor left off the Thorpe award finalist list. I think that was a snub because Snubs. I don't know anybody that's getting, that's in the right place at the right time as much as this guy. I thought he also looked a little bit healthier in this game. I don't know how that would be possible. Not that he was you know jogging or lacking effort or anything in previous games. You could just tell he was beat up. I think he had a little more pep in step in this game. Maybe the the rain. I know Mason Cobb talked after the game that the rain and the gross weather kind of fires the defense up. They want <laughs> to play in that. They know the offense has to run the football. I thought I thought Taylor played really well when Lyric Rawls came in. I thought for when they had the shift, the safeties around, and Rawls came in for Daniels. I thought he looked good. I'm actually excited about Lyric Rawls for next season. And then Shawn Michael Flanagan got some redemption. <laughs> he got beat on that out-and-up earlier this season. They tried to do it to him earlier in the game. They He's did. a little behind the receiver, but he was there. He was there, and it was incomplete. So I thought that was great to see because I think Sean Michael Flanagan, just, he doesn't have the athletic ability of a – and this isn't a knock. I, I just think it's – I think you can see it on the field of a Kenyon Daniels or Jason Taylor, and not many people do. But he makes up for it in football IQ. So you see him get beat at times just – for sheer speed and athleticism on the wide receiver, but he, he can make up for it and he can get to his spots. I, I thought he was a joy to watch this season. I'm not trying to go on a little soapbox about Sean Michael Flanagan, but I think he may be the least talked about player that had the best season. If that That's makes sense. Awesome.
0: Call out. I, I noticed the play you're talking about. He was right there. A little bit beat, but it was a play he's gotten picked on all season by Oh yeah, Te- Texas. Tried to kill him with it. Oh, You did. It's been something that he struggled with, but you're exactly right. He is a heady player. Um, He'll be a guy that I think this defense misses a little bit, especially when you factor in you're losing Jason Taylor. You're losing Sean Michael Flanagan back there. I know Kendall Daniels has done some really good things. Lyric Rawls, you even mentioned. Those are going to be guys that have to step up and step up quickly because I think it's a question mark heading into next season. When you factor in, you're losing a Thorpe semifinalist, and you're losing you know, a guy in Sean Michael Flanagan who's been a you know, sixth-year player and
1: uh, has been lights out this year. I completely agree. Kate, I, I don't have anything else except that I believe my boy Tanner Brown, our boy Tanner Brown, who we talked about on the pod, and he still came out and made field goals in that next game. <laughs> he, he got snubbed, I believe, from the Lou Groza Award finalist, and I think that is also sad because he was... 21-22 to on field goal attempts this season and extended his PAT streak to 76.
0: Yeah, so does the in NCAA a infractions committee also vote on these awards, or how is this How's this even possible?
1: All I know is I may drive to Indianapolis or whatever and talk to them. Uh, I'll talk to them as a side note about Jason Taylor, who I think <laughs> that was a snub as well, but I'm all here for Tanner Brown, and I want to apologize to Tanner for being rude about special teams throughout the season. I'm still going to do it going forward, but he has been so great. I think I just made a underrated talked about thing with Sean Michael Flanagan. This is the guy. And I think Alex Hale is a really good kicker. So maybe not. If Alex Hale wasn't here, I think I would, I would feel much better about saying this, but this may be one of the biggest, the most missed players next season. Oh yeah. I think he was so consistent but obviously the least talked about because nobody cares when the kicker is good. I mean, I don't care when the kicker is good. You only care when the kicker is bad. You're so right. I mean, we, how often did we talk about Matt
0: Amendola's, you know, two doinks against Texas Tech? I remember those very well. They almost killed me. Um, Tanner Brown, like, never missed. He was almost a robot back there.
1: Never missed. I, the, I know he hit the goal bus in this game, but he's kicking in the pouring rain. Give my guy some slack. He found a way to get it through. So speaking of our our
0: delayed trip to uh, Indianapolis, we do have some unfinished business up there and we're bringing an agenda. I mean, we've got... The Thorpe, the Groza, we've got the infractions on the men's basketball team. We we need an hour w- with uh, whoever's running the show up there now. So you and I have got some business to take care of up there. I think I'm going Tanner Brown one on the agenda. We're going to walk in the door and they're going to be like, we don't do that here.
1: No, kid, we're going to kick <laughs> We're
0: gonna kick in the door. Yeah, you're exactly right. Tanner. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. We don't vote we don't on do those that things here. here. That's here. not us. Sit down and we're talking about it. That's how we're going to handle Sir, it. This
1: is a Wendy's. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm done talking about losses. I mean, I know we've got potentially a Texas bowl berth coming up that seems to be where the stars are aligning. That would match you up against an SEC team, which is something to get excited about. The teams there, you're looking at a a Mizzou, Arkansas, Kentucky as the caliber of opponent there. I would love an Oklahoma State, Arkansas kind of appetizer. They've got a home-and-home coming up here in several years, so I'd be all for that.
1: This is my favorite one of the toilet bowls, I think, out of all the ones that Oklahoma State can go to, because it's in Houston, where, as you know, and I think I've said on this podcast, I lived for six years after college, still have friends there, like to go back to that game, normally do when we play there. I think last time it was A&M, last time that we played in yeah, it. You're right. So that would be my favorite. I, I know Cheez-It is probably still on the table. There's the the guaranteed rate bowl or whatever that <laughs> is, uh, Liberty. But it all of the predictions are saying Texas. I know the Texas Bowl likes to bring Oklahoma State. They normally roll out pretty hard to Houston, to NRG for that game. So that would be personally, selfishly, I would prefer that of the others. Uh, there's no question just from an opponent
0: perspective um, I, I don't want to go play a I, I'll be honest I'll be really disappointed if they draw Mizzou the thing about bowl games is I want to play people we never play that's why an Arkansas or a Kentucky is fun that's why Notre Dame was fun last year there were there was a time where Oklahoma State was Alamo Bowl bound and it was going to be UCLA that would have been fun too I don't want to play a and or Mizzou or Colorado or people were familiar with. So this will be a fun one, especially, again, considering that that home-and-home home with Arkansas is coming up. Um, I would agree with you. I don't want to go to Shreveport. I don't want to go to uh, Tempe again or wherever. I mean, I, I don't even know where the Guaranteed Rate Bowl is now. Like it, what, what did that used to be? Was that the Liberty Bowl?
1: I don't even <laughs> know. I honestly don't know.
0: So this is really good radio. Um I'm gonna pull it up just just so we're fully aware of this. Um this and is it, oh, this is the former cheez it bowl.
1: Oh, it is the Cheese It. Yes Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, now that it's, we've figured that out.
1: I never know what what's happening with the bowl names. But yeah, I think I think Texas is both of our picks. And it, I think that might bring us straight into this kind of season wrap-up, look ahead to next season. I know it's it's maybe a little too early for both as there's still the bowl game, and next season is very far away because we're still in the midst of this season. But I think after the last regular season game, with the way this season turned out after the really promising start, it's something you have to talk about. Well, there's no question. I, I,
0: I think we need to do, you know, for lack of a better word, I think we need to do an autopsy. I think it's time to figure out exactly what went wrong without rehashing everything we've said, offensive line, defensive line, without saying those words for the millionth time this season. We, we, we do need to talk about this. And frankly, I think it's the thing on a lot of people's mind. I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion around coaching and players and portal and who's going where and what happened and who's going to leave because of this season i do think we as a as a podcast duo have a duty to discuss those things but i i've, I've brought some talking points here that i think really I, I don't even know if people know this you and i don't really do a whole lot of total stats you know really kind of the easy ones We go a little bit more granular than that. We'll do points per drive. We'll do some of those things. But let me just tell you real quickly a couple of eye-popping statistics for me. Oklahoma State this year was eighth in the Big 12 in the following categories. Total offense, points per game, and total defense. They were also eighth in total rushing defense. So that's eighth in four very key categories. They were ninth in rushing yards per game on offense, 2nd in passing yards per game, so that's a good thing, and 10th in passing defense. So, in most of these key categories, everything except passing offense, they ranked 8th or worse in the Big 12. Here's a hot take, they probably overachieved with their, with their win-loss total. They finished fifth in the Big 12, Dustin. With those type of numbers, they probably overachieved, and that, to me, is a damning kind of point to make. This, yeah. this, I don't know how you beat Texas. I, I don't know how you beat Tech. Like, quite frankly, with, with the way this season unfolded at the end, you kind of look back and you're like, how did we beat Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, and all of those guys?
1: It was pretty much... All Spencer Sanders early in the season. <laughs> I really He carried the offense on his shoulders and you see what happens when you have a less dynamic runner, less mobile quarterback like a Gunner Gundy or Garrett Rangel back there. They aren't able to make up for some of the issues on the offensive line and get away from some of these sacks and scramble for 30, 40 yards on a single play like Spencer was able to do or make a throw on the run. The impact he had on the offense this season, last season, pretty much throughout his career, I think is underestimated, underrated. I know he's a very polarizing figure to the fan base, but I don't think there's any way to deny when you talk about some of the things you just talked about and ask the question, how are they able to win these games, especially from the offensive side? It was Spencer Sanders. And I know, I know he had the four picks, but the games they won were due to him running and throwing the football on offense, fighting through pretty below average offensive line play and a ton of injuries throughout the season. I, I think you're spot on. I think if there is a bright spot
0: on this season offensively, who's Spencer Sanders. You don't know what his intentions are for next season. Uh, there's a lot of smoke out there. I think, quite frankly, there's a lot of people that don't know um, including you and I. I, I don't think we have much on what he's doing. Um, but I think there's a lot of discussion on transfer portal, head to the NFL or come back. I, I would just say, as we've said all year, it feels like be careful what you wish for when it comes to Spencer Sanders, because I think at a different place with an offensive line and the skill talent that Oklahoma State has, let's let's put Spencer Sanders at, let's let's call it Oregon with a good offensive line, let's put him at Utah, even Washington, I think he tears it up. I, I think the offensive line this year really kind of even undersold, as you said, truly what his individual contributions were to this team.
1: Yeah, and no matter what he decides to do, I think we talked about it on previous spots, but he's going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks at Oklahoma State of all time, certainly one of the best of the Gundy era. Of the most of the most recent era, even with the names like Brandon Whedon, Mason Rudolph, and those guys, I hope Cade. I, I obviously I hope he comes back. If he decides not to, I would really prefer him try the NFL <laughs> than to transfer. Personally, no it just it's very hard for me. And I'm speaking as a fan. Obviously, we're not in the media. We we just do a podcast because <laughs> we're huge fans and love talking about Oklahoma State as a fan it would be really tough for me to see him in another uniform. No question. I hate to say this, but for me personally, it would kind of tarnish some of the legacy where you and I are talking about putting him maybe number two in the quarterback rankings all time. It would would be upsetting to see that. And I'm not saying I would drop him in the rankings because of that, but my heart would tell me to drop him in the rankings because of that. Well,
0: I appreciate your honesty. There's no question that – I mean – From an optics perspective, one of your leading winningest quarterbacks in school history transferring and opting to use his remaining eligibility elsewhere is a terrible look for the program that that would not be a good thing. Um, I don't want to overstate it. It's not an apocalyptic scenario, but it's not a good thing. I mean, he is number two or one in a lot of key categories in Oklahoma State history as a quarterback. So when you and I start talking about putting him at number 2, that's not hot takey. I do think after the way this season went down, I don't know how you can put him at 2, but we're we're not here to have that discussion. I think the important thing is to remember the individual contributions that Spencer Sanders made. I hope he tries the NFL. Number one, I hope he comes back to Oklahoma state. Number two, I hope he tries the NFL and number three, if he transfers, I hope it's far, far away from the big 12 and that he does great. I agree with you. (laughs) It will burn like no other to see him somewhere else because I have no doubt he'll succeed. Um, But I don't think you can have anything other than, you know, good wishes for him. uh, You know, whatever it is that he does, because I think we talked about this. He put, I mean, he put his body on the line and played multiple weeks when he should not have been playing. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he was out there playing for the team you and I love uh, and the team all of us love, uh, you know,
1: maybe when he shouldn't have been. So,
0: anyway, enough on him, and but takes, I just, I'll, I'll miss him.
1: And the one the one thing to his credit is I know he takes a lot of hate from the fan base. You can tell it I'm, – I'm not saying it gets to him, but the way he posts things on social media and things like that, you know he – Knows what some fans say about him, and that you know that's sad to see. With with what, what all you just said, how great of a player he is, and everything. And I'm not scolding anybody. Obviously, say say whatever you want, as long as you're not being you know openly mean about it. You have your opinion. I I still don't like Kevin Durant after the Thunder thing. Oh, <laughs> I'm just saying. You can tell you you know he hears it, and I hope that doesn't factor into his decision at all. But if it does, that that would be that's something I think about and I'm just like, man, that would suck if that would be a reason why he would left. It's it's more probably because he wants to play for a better O-line at you know in state or one of the schools you named, which I would much rather him go to a school like that than like you said, like a like a big oh, yeah. school, like a Baylor. But yeah, just just we really want him to come back. I think. The fan base should want him to come back, especially with the quarterbacks you have on the roster right now. Rangel obviously needs more time to develop. I think Gunnar Gundy is a, a talented quarterback, but I'm not sure how far you can get with him in the Power 5 conference if he's your starter. And Flores will be a true freshman coming in next year. So if they don't go to the portal, I think you would really want Sanders to come back Yeah, to kind of shore up your quarterback spot and be that guy on your offense again, like he was this season when he was healthy.
0: You said Baylor. I, I think TCU would come calling. I mean, he'd be a everybody a hundred percent. Oklahoma would want him. Anybody would want Spencer Sanders. But uh, I could see him in in purple, and that's a thought that could make you throw up in your mouth. But on the offense as a whole, I think this is a really good like transition point into. You know, we talked about. Maybe Spencer Sanders, if he does transfer, play for a more stable offensive line, stable, you know, scheme, whatever you may have. Destin, I think there's a discussion to be had around the coaching here as well. We've talked about the offensive line. We went in kind of on them last week. I'll resurface some of that. You've got injuries up front. Yes, this was not the first year. This is actually year three of like significant movement up front due to injury. Um, you can point to some strength and conditioning issues. And s- there. Some
1: not due to injury, like we saw at the beginning yeah. of last season. Just 100%. movement due
0: to performance. Movement due to performance. Movement due to not actually getting guys on campus. Like I think there is some culpability when a Prince Pines and a Casey Collier transfer in take up two scholarships and never play a down for Oklahoma State. I think that's a problem. Uh, I think that uh, not identifying the right guys on the offensive line is a problem. And so that leads us to a point where I think everybody is asking the question, what do you do on the offensive line and on the offense as a whole?
1: Hey, we don't break news on here. We've never done that. We normally just say things we're hearing, not saying they're right or wrong. But I think there's going to be, and I believe you agree with me from what you've heard yeah, and what we've discussed off, off podcast, that there's going to be some shakeups in the offensive coaching room. If I had to guess, again, I'm not saying I know anything, and I'm not just saying that. Like I, I truly don't know anything for a fact. Or yeah, you know, I would I would give that info out and I would use it for betting or stuff like that. But <laughs> just for just rumors, things we're hearing. If I and I and we had to guess, I think Charlie Dickey, this may have been his last season at Oklahoma State. I think there may be some other dominoes that fall as well. I don't know if they'll move on from Casey Dunn completely, even move on from him as an offensive coordinator, but maybe that's in the cards as well. But one thing that I feel not confident about, but if I had to make a pick, it would be moving on from Charlie Dickey and trying to bring in maybe a more, maybe an offensive line guy that's called plays at a stop. Maybe a guy who's been a run game coordinator, something more to add some play calling, some new style, maybe a younger guy in there. And Charlie Dickey is an amazing offensive line coach. One of the most technically sound offensive line coaches for everything I've seen, and heard, you know, I was able to attend that practice last season. Really liked everything I heard from him coaching the offensive line. But I just, I just think maybe he's kind of outgrown this era, maybe, and and also just Oklahoma State. But I, I think we won't see him as the offensive line coach as we head into next season. I, I really
0: don't know how you could, frankly. This is, this is what I meant when I said I don't know how you run this offense out there again next year, the offensive line, this, this has been a, I mean, let be honest, Dustin, this has been a failure for the last three years. The offensive line has probably sunken Oklahoma state's chances um, on the whole. And it's, it's not due to any one individual player. I wouldn't even say it's due to any one individual person. So I'm not like, I'm not pinning this all on Charlie Dickey. I don't think that's fair. I do think though, Stuff rolls uphill. That's the rule in the cor- corporate world. That's the rule anywhere. When you're the person in charge, you are responsible for the production on the field, in the meeting room. You're the you're you're responsible in that regard. And so that's why I think Charlie Dickey is somebody that needs to be looked at. It's also why I think Casey Dunn has a has some culpability here. You can't get the offensive line figured out this long, and you've had. F- i keep saying three years. Dickie's been the offensive line coach for four years. This has been an ongoing issue. I think it does roll uphill in that regard. I'm not saying it's a fireable offense. I'm saying we haven't seen Casey done with a healthy offensive line, a truly healthy offensive line. So we don't even know what his offense looks like in that regard. So I think he's got some culpability in not figuring that out sooner. Maybe not reallocating scholarships as I've talked about before on this podcast, um, I think he has some ownership of this as well. And ultimately, when when I just told you, Oklahoma State ranks eighth in the Big 12 in total offense, eighth in the Big 12 in points per game, ninth in rushing yards per game, that's on the offensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, no, I think, again, to bring up Adam Lund, our guy, friend of the pod, he mentioned that, Injuries go a long way and I think they're a major reason for a lot of the struggles, but it it allows you to kind of look at things in a different way when you have a down season to what you expected going in. And even what happened in the first several games of the season, you know, it kind of fell off. It allows you to kind of evaluate some things, look at some things and maybe make some changes, even though may, maybe it wasn't solely based on this one thing, but it allows you to kind of, look at the grand scheme hey we had a bad year we know injuries was a main cause but maybe what else was a factor so not saying it's a positive if anyone were to lose their job or move on for anything like that but it is nice to be able for gundy to be able to kind of look at things in that through that lens you know when you don't go 12 and 2 you you think injuries are the main cause but what else maybe played a factor so I think yeah, we could maybe we could maybe see that. It it would suck to lose Dunn completely.
0: No question. If there
1: was any way to keep him on as assistant head coach, slash wide receivers coach. I'm not sure if you, I mean he's been at Oklahoma State now for what 12 years? Yeah. Maybe he likes Stillwater maybe he doesn't see himself as an offensive coordinator and would take a step back. I, I don't know. I, I know personally that would be tough. For anybody to do like admit failure take a step step back at least not make a change to a new university but maybe they're able, if, if they do that i think it's a huge win because he's an awesome recruiter and a great wide receivers coach well and i let me be clear i am not even all the way
0: there on a change at offensive coordinator i know there were same, people same. there were people there Last year, there were people ready to run him out of Stillwater after the Big 12 title game, and there were things that did not go well. Like, there was bad play calling at the end of that game. But I do think we have not seen it yet. We have not seen the full package, and everybody's going to have injuries. I think Oklahoma State circumstances, though, are so significant that I think the thing that Casey Dunn is most responsible for is that like not the injuries necessarily, but that we haven't seen it in four years. And I think you have to start pointing to, okay, what's the deal in the offensive line room and, and these injuries, why can't we keep anybody healthy? What's going on in strength and conditioning? I'm sure those questions have been asked. I I am not naive enough to think that they have not, but the fact that that has not been answered does roll uphill to Casey Dunn. And I do think if he does come back, that has to be improved in a significant way to remain an offensive coordinator, because otherwise, I think it will have been a failure at that point. I do think if he comes back, it's a hot seat type of scenario.
1: Yeah, I agree. And the other side of the coin, and I hate to say this, but because we're talking about people's jobs and things like exactly. that, and I know it's a sensitive topic. But if guys like Hunter Woodard, Cole Birmingham, Preston Wilson, and I'm not, I'm not saying I know this is true, but if We've heard that there may be some arguments going on within that offensive line room. If they are more willing to stay, if a change is made and, you know, Gundy has any inkling of, hey, I was going to make a change anyway, I think you maybe make that change because if you can come back next season with Caleb Etienne at left tackle, Cole Birmingham at left guard, Preston Wilson at center, Hunter Wooded at right guard, which I think he may try to go pro so that it may not matter Anyway, and then an Austin Kowecki or a Jason Brooks at right tackle, that's a really good offensive line.
0: Absolutely it is. That's an offensive
1: line where the interior, all those guys could be all Big 12 performers if they stay fully healthy for a season. And that allows you to have a Joe Mahalski, a Tyrone Weber, a Jake Springfield if he stuck around as backups, all experienced got well not not so much Weber, but some of those guys are experienced. Then they're your backups and you don't have to have a Maholski starting. You've got guys you're going after in the transfer portal, JUCO guys. Yep. Then you have an offensive line. You know, they they've handed out a bunch of third walk-on offers to offensive linemen. And I believe that's because of the situation they got in last spring where they didn't even have enough guys to go to units <laughs> because so many people were hurt. Couldn't even practice. So, yeah, so if you can keep guys around along with the guys you're bringing in and and it's part of it is due to making that change, you don't want to let the players kind of control everything. But I, I think in this scenario, when when you see a change be made and that could be a benefit of it, I think that adds on to one Wanting to make a change, and again, I'm not saying any of that is true, but if it were at all, I think you got to make a change because no question, those three guys coming back would be
0: huge. Yeah, no, no question. I I also think as as people start to think about a a coaching change, this is not going to be something where you get a press release that Charlie Dickey is fired. You're going to see all of this kind of come together at once, and it's going to be the announcement of a new change at offensive line coach or at a change at offensive coordinator and again this is all speculation but i think a lot of people are getting impatient and just reminding oklahoma state doesn't go through coaching changes a lot usually unless it's a departure where you know you have an opening this is done kind of all in one fell swoop this is a oklahoma state announces new offensive line coach dustin so just a little bit of patience in that regard, because there's a lot of moving parts if they were to end up making a move. And I'll go back to something you said, Dustin, totally not lost on me that these are people's jobs that we're talking about. I mean, it, it's something that I get uncomfortable about when we start, you know, we're not speculating. We're, we're, we're talking about you know, some of the things we've heard and talking about, you know, maybe potentially what it would look like. So I guess we are specul- speculating in a way. But these are people's jobs. These are people's families. So we're we're not trying to add fuel to the fire. But we we do feel like we need to talk about it. One from our perspective, and then two, some of the things we've heard. So,
1: yeah, I agree completely. And if they were to move away from Dunn as OC, and he isn't doesn't want to stay on as wide receivers coach, looks like I said that would suck. And again, and I'm not calling for him at OC. I think you just need to make some changes. You've alluded to this. I don't think you can just run it back how it was. That may not be at OC. It may be O-line. It may right. be a QB coach. But if you were to lose done completely, a name you could look at, El Gundy. Yeah. I know <laughs> that would probably rub some fans the wrong way, but he's coached receivers. He played quarterback. He could coach either of those position groups at Oklahoma State. And honestly, maybe a good thing because I don't think just seeing how they interact and listening to Kale, knowing his personality. I'm I'm sure he's the type of guy that would tell Mike to screw off if he didn't agree with <laughs> something. It so, might be what's needed, to be yeah, quite honest. So <laughs> that would be cool. I think he's a name to keep it. I'm not saying I've heard anything there. It just, they've, Gundy keeps bringing him up in press conferences. I know he's asked about him sometimes. I could see that name. If they were to make a change at offensive coordinator, I'm sure people listening have already thought about this after he got fired at UNLV, but a Marcus Arroyo, a guy who was here as running backs coach in 2015 and 2016, he runs that kind of outside zone stretch type offense with some wrinkles added in there. Maybe there, and he's a younger, I think he's only like 42-ish, really good recruiter. I know the players at UNLV were very upset that they let him go. I saw several articles about that. Maybe he's a guy that comes back. I know Gundy really liked him. He did a good job recruiting running backs. Looking into it a little bit, he has an offensive line coach that's been a run game coordinator, been a co offensive coordinator in TJ Woods. He maybe could bring him along with him. Just some things to think about if they were to move on, but I'm not saying any of that's going to happen we'll obviously if they make any moves we'll we'll do like we did last year with defensive coordinator and go through a full list get some scheme breakdowns just with this news and the rumors and everything we wanted to give a couple names that we thought we'd seen around we've seen on twitter and those are some i'd probably keep an eye on
0: yeah i i'm glad you said that i i think there's a lot of smoke around some of those folks kill gundy might be the one that would surprise some uh Again, nothing for sure, nothing firm, but those are some of the things we've caught as well. Um, Arroyo, I think, from a recruiting perspective, going back to kind of the conversation about Casey Dunn's future at Oklahoma State, if you're able to keep him on staff one way or another and bring in an, a Marcus Arroyo, let's say as an offensive coordinator, Kale Gundy as you know wide receiver or quarterback coach or associate assistant to the head coach, or some sort of analyst type of role, that is a room of recruiters right there that have done and it at a, a high level. Up.
1: That's a shake, up, shake like up. we're talking about. that that's, that's pretty big time. You're changing out three, maybe four coaches. And If you were able to keep done on that staff, I think it's a big win. I'm not saying I'm head over heels for an Arroyo, but if you're able to keep done and bring in a KL Gundy or, or even another coach that is a really good recruiter to kind of mesh with those guys. And you've already got, you know, a, a Arroyo there. I think that would be pretty big time. Yeah. I, I'm with you.
0: I'm with you, Dustin. Again, nothing firmed up, but we'll, we'll uh hopefully hear something, you know, sooner rather than later one way or another. I think there's enough discussion around it where you'll, you'll have answers uh as quickly as you can want them. So Dustin, I mean, what anything else on the offensive side of the ball? I, I think we've kind of discussed. I, I think a high point for me, and I think, you know, this has been a lot of low. I, I'll, I'll go back to Boogie Johnson. I'll go back to John Paul Richardson. The youth in the wide receiver room continues to be a bright spot for Oklahoma State. I think they showed some youth, showed some inexperience, but overall, they are one of the better position groups in the Big 12 right now. And I would put those wide receivers up against anybody's, um, maybe except TCU, because we don't have a Quentin Johnson running around. But, you know, I'd, I'd put them right there underneath them.
1: Yeah, you're talking about a Jaden Bray probably coming in as your Z next year, a Bryson Green as your X. If Langston Anderson comes back, he's in the mix there. You got Rashad Owens. If he comes back, you've got Blaine Green coming back from injury, a Cowboy back. Presley and JP Richardson, another year of Braylon Presley in the program. There's a lot of wide receivers on this roster a Boogie Johnson. I think you've got you've got a solid two deep at every wide receiver spot. And then uh, Tabri Shetren Quentin Stewart at Cowboy back to back up Blaine Green. Like if you want to move Owens back to receiver, there's a lot of solid players at the skill positions. And, Kate, I'm really excited, excited about Holly Gordon maybe being the feature back next year. Yep. We haven't seen much from C.J. Brown. You can have Nixon in there as well to kind of round that out. But I think with Brown and Gordon having another year in the program and maybe picking up another running back in this class, really the only question mark like we talked about outside of the offensive line is your quarterback spot if Spencer Sanders leaves. So, And that's something we know who we have. We know who's coming in the only way to really evaluate and break that down is if they go and get a transfer portal guy because we kind of know what it is right now.
0: No question. And I, I do think it would be a little naive to not expect some movement in the transfer portal and those position groups. Like today, it's almost like guys are just entering to see what's out there and then will withdraw themselves. It, it happens and it's crazy. It's free agency every year. It's a new part of college football. So I would just, I would get ready for some, you know, key departures in that regard, not necessarily even hinting at anything. Just get ready for that because that's what this is now.
1: On the defensive side of the ball, I don't know how much shakeup there will be in the coaching room. I don't think there's any reason to let Derek Mason go after one year. He showed some promising things. Getting some feet on him. his, his defense in the last game looked more like a Jim Knowles defense than Agreed. it really has. I think all season. I'm not. I'm not. Sh- and you know, as far as personnel goes, you're losing Brock Martin, Brendan Evers, and Sioneasi. You've got to shore up the interior defensive line. But out of that, you're bringing back Colin Oliver, Colin Clay, Nathan Latou, Mason Cobb, Xavier Benson, Muhammad. Gundy said he thinks Thomas Harper's coming back. Kendall Daniels, Corey Black, Lyric Rawls. I don't know about the too deep experience-wise, but the starters, you're bringing back pretty much everybody except for an Asi and Evers, who we didn't really have for much of this year anyway, and a Brock Martin, who was splitting reps with Oliver Kapinsky and Ford. So we'll see how Ford recovers from that injury as well. I'm not, I'm not sure if he'll be back, but defensively, not as much shake-up or change or... Things you need in the portal starter wise, as much as the offense. I think outside of the interior defensive line, there's definitely places you could go for for backups or maybe even a weak side linebacker if you could get an upgrade from a Vincent or a Martin. But do you agree that not as much needed from the yeah, from the ones and from the coaching staff there?
0: Yeah, this is actually something I re- I really wanted to talk about was you know I I think. Oklahoma state fans and really college football fans in general are pretty quick to fire everyone. It's something we've joked about on this podcast over the last couple of weeks, because I think fans get frustrated. I think especially fans of programs that have had a high level of success when it doesn't go right, it feels like the end of the world. And you get on Twitter. I know Mike Gundy doesn't, but you and I do. Um, Even Derek Mason caught a lot of, you know, some of it's deserved um flack for for the way things went on the defensive side of the ball. But I I don't see any way that there's a change made there unless he were to go, you know, take an open position somewhere else. I wouldn't expect him to make a defensive coordinator change or a, a lateral move, I should say. It would be a head coaching position that I would think about. Stanford has been a name that's been thrown around. So I don't think there's any needed changes. There is what I'll say. I, I think they've shown enough flash at times. Second half against Texas, you know, most of the game against West Virginia, there were moments. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to recruit some talent up front on the defensive line. Um, I would say, you know, that's the only area for the transfer portal that I'm like, you've got to go get. I don't even think it's one. I, I think it's multiple people to to anchor that interior defensive line down.
1: And they're even going after guys already. You saw them uh offer the Dartmouth transfer, yeah. Shane Cokes. He's got some big offers out there. He's like 280 pounds, and they offered a 300-pound JUCO guy from NEO, Eamon Oates, which – uh yeah, yeah, Eamon Oates. They offered him as well to try to shore that up. They're going – and they've, they've offered several JUCO O-line guys, so they're trying – to get some more experienced guys they can bring in and plug in right away on both lines. And it, it makes sense because th- that that's what you and I have talked about. That's what other people we talked to have talked about. And the coaching staff obviously sees it as well, and they're going after these guys already. So that's positive. I'm sure we'll see more as the portal opens up, I think officially next Monday, the 5th. So we'll kind of see, but really not... Unless you want to go through the hole too deep, it's not really as interesting a conversation, I don't think, for, I, for the defense. I know. I, I feel like next week is a good time to have that conversation
0: because if there yeah. is movement in the portal, I think we're likely to see a lot by next week. Um, just that's the way this goes. Guys are going to want to get their name in early. I feel like that's a good time to have that conversation. For One sure. name I'll just throw out there for fun. <laughs> just, just for fun let's say Spencer Sanders moves on to the NFL Hudson card is an option that I believe Oklahoma state would have interest in. And I would speculate that there could be some mutual interest there. So that is a name that I would, would keep an eye on just like we did for the offensive coordinator, you know, uh, offensive room. That's a name I would keep an eye on.
1: And he would have multiple years of eligibility. He would correct. He would. And there's the new rule, which I'm sure we'll talk about on here. So once you take that transfer portal player, you have the remainder of their eligibility against your 85 limit, regardless of whether they stay, quit, get injured. That is hitting against you. I think that may deter some of these, you know, freshmen, sophomores that are hopping in the portal that you don't know much about from from coaches taking them. I don't think that would be the case with a Hudson card. I think I think if he wants to come to Oklahoma State, oh. Spencer Sanders is leaving. You definitely take him. It's a guy they recruited out of high school. I'm not saying Hudson is going to be as good as Spencer Sanders. And actually, I'm hundred percent not saying that he would not be as good as Spencer Sanders, but I think with the quarterback room you have now, if not only just to increase the competition in yeah. the offseason, you bring in a guy like that. Yeah, no question. Not an indictment on what's in that quarterback room, but
0: I I look at Cam Rising as an example of like what that, you know, kind of, I mean, Card was a four-star recruit, not over the top, uh, but I mean, pretty high profile recruit, but transfers to a place where he's going to get playing time. And now Cam Rising is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think Hudson Card could have a similar trajectory depending on where he lands. So A name I would keep an eye on. I'm sure Oklahoma State fans noticed that and thought, what if? But um, I also think, what if?
1: So, yeah, no, it's a great call out. I love it. And last, last football note Zane Flores, Max Preps, Nebraska High School Player of the Year. Just wanted to shout him out. We'll be talking a lot about Zane. Let's get that years. Let's get that pen to paper
0: with Matt Rule coming in. Let's just get get him to Stillwater. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, we've got, I think, early signing days. The 21st. Yeah, I think you're right. December 21st. So we'll definitely have our Sunday podcast. Maybe we can have a guest on for that. Like we did last year, but we'll have a lot of fun talking recruiting yeah. as we move forward and transfer portal. Should be great. It's going to be fun.
0: All right, real quick, Dustin, uh, one hoops note, obviously coming off two kind of blowout wins against Tulsa, Prairie view, A&M, a and much needed get right week. Oklahoma state draws UConn university of Connecticut on the schedule. Who is number eight in the country? They get them Thursday at 5 30 Central. That's at Connecticut. It in Stores, Connecticut, my old stomping grounds. Not Stores, but Connecticut, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's a humongous game. And and one that I think is winnable.
1: They've coming into this game, UConn started out the season playing. Some pretty terrible teams, but f- their first five games were teams all ranked by Ken Palm 173 or worse. And they like Delaware state, who I think maybe ranked very last. And then they come and play Oregon. Who's 43rd, Alabama 14th and Iowa state who's 47th and beat all of them pretty handily. Yep. The other issue with Connecticut, they've got some big men <laughs> that are pretty physical We've got some big men that are physical, but a little more slender, I think, than some of these Connecticut guys, especially their seven-two well, guy I, they have on their team,
0: Adama Sinogo, I do agree with you. Adama is a old friend. We we were oh, in yeah. on him. I don't, I'm sure you remember that name. The casual hoops fan may not. Oklahoma State was in on him. I don't know if they passed. I don't really remember the specifics there. But now he is terrorizing everybody. I mean, he's the best player. Yeah. They they, run the offense through him. hundred percent. I think he was kind of a prep school guy flew under the radar four star kind of blossomed late, but I mean, he is killing everyone. They run the offense through him and then they've just got another, he's six, nine. They've got a seven foot two guy who they also run quite significantly. Good guard play. It's going to be a tough challenge for Oklahoma state, but I do think they could go, a little bit of small ball. I think Caleb Boone could be an X factor in this type of game. But Caleb Asbury is one that I would look at um, as, as a guy that's going to need to produce in this type of game. But I, I kind of think it's going to be fairly low scoring.
1: Yeah. I had to go back and watch the last two games on replay. Cause I need to watch them live. The Colson Prairie View a games. And along with the rest of the games this season, their defense has just been incredible. Yeah, They, they are a really good defensive team. In the Tulsa game, I, I was trying. You could count on one hand how many open shots Tulsa really got. Almost yeah. everything was contested. In the Prairie View game, the first half, that you know they came out with not much energy. But I, I do think to your point about this possibly being a winnable game. I think it'd be because of the defense. If they can rebound well, even when they go small ball, I think they should have a shot in this game. The only thing I'm looking at Connecticut's Ken Palm page right now. I had it pulled up. They have like a, he has like a conditional formatting Excel type color scheme for if teams are good at certain metrics, it'll be a green, a darker shade of green. And as they get worse, it's clear to a red. All of their offensive and defensive metrics are green, some shade of oh, yeah. green.
0: They've, <laughs> they've kind of hammered everybody on their schedule and now they've got a little bit of uh, a couple quality opponents on their schedule. So this is a challenge. There's no question about it. Yeah,
1: so we'll definitely break that game down next week because we won't have football to talk about. So we'll be transfer portal, we'll be recruiting, we'll be basketball. We might even record during the next game so we can give you some live updates that will mean nothing. <laughs> but yeah, it'll, it'll be a good time. That's your, that's everybody's favorite is when we're watching the game while we're
0: podcasting and, and discussing it. <laughs> we'll try not to do that as much this year. But there's another game happening in the Big 12, Dustin, by the way. Creighton at Texas which is seven verse two on, on Thursday night. So should be a good one. I'm excited to break it down with you. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. Okay. Well, let's get right to it. Let's uh, actually, before we get to questions, let's take a quick break. We've been talking for a while. Let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Home Field Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Home Field Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Home Field Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right, FEELS12 will get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code FEELS12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the Feels Like 45 podcast sent you. All right, welcome back. Moving right into our question and answer portion of the show, we've got one here from our friend of the pod, Ryan Winkle. What's up, dudes? Thank the Lord football's over uh, so we can switch to basketball. I'm curious <laughs> who you guys think needs to be the best player on this team for OSU basketball to go as far as they possibly can. Um, I'll answer it myself because I know you guys love that. The only guy I can – really answer is Bryce Thompson Um so I was curious if you guys have the same answer if, if there's another guy that you guys think could be the the leader on this team and and potentially take them even farther I think it is Bryce Thompson personally
1: yeah the the only other person I think you could say is Avery Anderson and the reason I'm sure people you know why not Musa C say why not Caleb Boone I don't think say has been amazing this year. He's got, what, like 25 blocks, and the next closest person in the Big 12, I think, has like 11. I heard Mike Boynton say that in his press conference. But Cissé's low post-offensive game isn't advanced enough yet, and I think it could get there at some point in his career, in his NBA career, for him to be a focal point of the offense at all times when you need a bucket. Caleb Boone, I think he's got a really good game, but he lacks a little bit of aggression at times, and we've already seen that throughout his career. He's played enough games. I don't think either of those guys can get you a bucket when you have to get a bucket. And I think really the only two guys on this team that could be even in argument right now is Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson. And I think Bryce Thompson needs to be your best player because I think he has more of an offensive repertoire than Avery Anderson does, and I think he's a little bit more careful with the ball or at least he's shown that over his career I know they're both averaging about the same turnover rate right now but I I just that's why I would think and I agree with you Ryan I think it's a great question but I I think it's Bryce Thompson I think he's a guy you can run your offense through as well I we've seen what this offense
0: looks like ran through every Anderson I don't think it's something you want to do all the time I think it is a break glass in case of emergency type of approach Bryce and Musa need to be the focal points and I think Caleb Boone too should be the guy that's right there to clean things up. Um, I mean, he's, he's off to a phenomenal start, and I am excited to see. He's a guy that we've talked about. Is like If you get him involved early, things go better for him. I, I think his move to the four has been a revelation for him. I mean, I know he's not lighting the world up, but he's, he's playing engaged for
1: 40 minutes, and that is not something that was happening last year. I honestly think he needs more shots. I agree. I heard Mike Boynton talking about they've been trying to get the bigs going early because they, they know that they can play from inside out really well. But he says if Caleb Boone, I think it was in the Tulsa game, or maybe it was Prairie View, but Caleb Boone missed one of those first shots and the guards were just like, all right, we're just going to fire up some threes now because uh he missed that first. One. Yeah, they missed their <laughs> chance
0: is what he said.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that I thought that was funny, but I think Boone needs to take more shots. One thing about the Boone, and not to go off on a basketball tangent, but one thing about the Boone and csay tandem, they've got to get a little bit more in sync on the pick and roll versus who's posting up. We've seen it, and actually Mike Boynton got on to them both on this one specific play I'm remembering, but say will come up to set the ball screen up at the top for the ball handler and be looking to roll after because he's not a pick and pop guy. And Caleb will be down there posting up. It's like he's rolling directly into Caleb's defender. So <laughs> that's just, there's only, they haven't done it a ton. It's just been a few times, but it's just, you've got to, you've got to clear some space there. It's the, the only issue with that lineup because every, there's so many positives with that lineup when they're both out there, which is the starting lineup. But that, that's one thing I've noticed. If I just want to say one kind of negative thing because we've been really positive on basketball.
0: Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Thank you for, for bringing us back to ours. Another potentially negative thing I don't know if you know this Oklahoma State's got a game with Virginia Tech coming up on Sunday, the 11th. They've got a kid named Sean Padula, who you will remember if, you're yes. a, if you follow college or if you follow prep basketball in Oklahoma. He's right here from Edmond Memorial, and Oklahoma State passed on him. He's lighting it up. At Virginia Tech, he's their leading scorer, averaging 17 points a game. I'm sure he's ready to go full flamethrower on us uh, in that game. Yeah,
1: I could see us losing that game and him hitting like nine threes. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure he'll be ready for that. Hey, I got one more,
0: not audio, but I've got it. It's from our friend Justin Southwell. I mentioned this earlier in the show. I want to ask you the question, though, Dustin. It says, it looks like Oklahoma State and Baylor, who were in the Big 12 championship game last year, are going to finish fifth and sixth in the Big 12 standings. And we all know a lot of that is due to injuries from Oklahoma State. But what are some positive things that you saw this season that you think is going to help play a major role for OSU's success
1: next season? Dustin, I'll let you go first on that. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Justin for sending that in. Thank you. And listen to their podcast, Believe in OK State. It's him and Eve Batoba and Megan Robinson. They do a great job there. Really uh, do they do a much better job of getting a lot of info out in like a 45 minute time frame compared to you and I who go for like six hours and say the same thing over and over. So if you want a shorter, more concise, more informative podcast, listen to that. Yeah. Turn this so, one yeah. off.
0: Give us a five star review, but then go. Give us a five
1: star review and then turn it off. But um, the, I love that question. I, I think we hit on one earlier when you talked about Boogie Johnson. Yep. I think they're you know, one spot I would go to that I think there are some positives and we've mainly been negative about is the offensive line. If you get a Cole Birmingham back, you've got Jason Brooks back. You've got Austin Kowecki, who's apparently been really good in practice. Tyrone Weber, who we've heard needed another year to mature after Juco, which is the same thing we saw with Caleb Etienne. You've got Etienne back. If you can get Preston Wilson to return, that. Like I said earlier, is a good offensive line. And I just named more than five starters. So you're talking about some backup guys. And you know, if Springfield, Maholski come back, there's a lot of guys on this roster, if they all come back, could be solid. And if you pick up a couple of JUCO guys, a couple of guys in the portal, maybe you're looking at it and you know, a new as much as I hate to just call for coach diggy's job but maybe a new offensive line coach you're looking at some positives here i think with the offensive line i know people say i'm crazy for even saying that pointing that out but i really do think it's something that could be a bright spot if it's handled correctly moving into next season it's not a hot take but it is bold my friend i mean offensive
0: line was the thorn in the side for you and i i do agree with you with what you're saying um I I think there's going to be some scar tissue for everybody to work through with the idea of the offensive line being a bright spot going into 2023. But I I agree with what you mean. Like, I think that that the young talent is there. new O-line coach. You hit the portal. I think, I think there are some options. Totally agree. And
1: the, the other one is cornerback because you're bringing back Corey black and Jabbar Muhammad, who we've seen Jabbar Muhammad. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the big 12. Maybe he has a chance to be one of the best in the country as he moves forward. You got Cam Smith, a ton of reps, and he looks solid. You got DJ McKinney, who apparently is one of the next guys up, even though he was a true freshman. And then DeMarco Jones, who we didn't get to see a lot because of injuries, but you know he's a smart football player with that movie made on the onside kick. I think the cornerback room, as much as we talked about it, the backups and the depth there being a question mark, and even the starters being an experience question mark going into the season. I think it could be a bright spot moving into next year. And it could even still be a spot. You pick up a guy in the portal as well. I, I
0: love it. I love it. Justin, thanks for the question. Appreciate it. Dustin, I'll flip it over to you for uh, some Twitter questions.
1: Yeah. So we've got a few here on Twitter. Let's start with uh glory cowboy at Gorg Sankar. He sends a lot of good stuff to us. He really does. Shout out. What are things we could have done differently, scheme wise or personnel wise this season, which could have improved the offense in hindsight? I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but stay healthier <laughs> in huge. Hey. What have been, and not just on offensive line. I mean, receivers, running backs, quarterback. That was insane the amount of injuries they sustained and had to deal with this season. I mean, go,
0: go look at like, I don't know, what's a team with a you know, mediocre quarterback and a really good offense. Oh, Michigan. Oh, Michigan has a really good offensive line. And I, I, I mean, I know he just torched Ohio state through the air, but I think up until that point, there was conversation about, is this guy even any good in JJ McCarthy? So I think an offensive line really solves a lot. And I think the injuries up there, injuries elsewhere, Spencer Sanders, I, (laughs) I don't know how you could possibly look at scheme right now and say something's got to change. I will say one thing just to answer the question. At times, I wanted more imagination. I've said that on the podcast before. I don't know exactly what that means. I just know that at times I felt like I knew exactly what was coming and it looked like the defense did as well. So let's just go from there.
1: Yeah, I think as the injuries started to pile up, we saw that a lot too. You know, how many packages have you even ran with Garrett Rangel with the ones? You know, because Spencer Sanders taking a lot of those reps and then you're splitting between Gunner and Rangel after that. So I completely agree though. You saw West Virginia use a ton of pre-snap shifts and motions that that's always something we talked about, you know, sometimes why you can't add that into tempo, but I, I agree one thing maybe you could have done, I guess if you want me to call out one specific thing scheme-wise on offense, with some backs who maybe lack a little bit of vision and elusiveness, maybe you run some more counter and power type plays where they have a defined point of attack, a defined running lane, and not so much looking for a crease or a cutback in a zone scheme. Ah, but but again, you've set your personnel up to run zone. So if I'm going to say the scheme change there for the running back, you'd also probably have to have some offensive linemen who would have been used to that pulling power counter type run scheme. So it's, It's kind of a dumb answer to make, but if I'm just looking from the running back angle, I probably would have. I'd probably answer that way.
0: Well, that is something we talked about during the season, too. We we had several questions along this same train of thought. What can Oklahoma State fix? Can they can they move to more of a counter gap scheme type of run game? The answer we gave was no because you're not going to gut your entire offense, but it is a possibility. I mean, shoot, you can go triple option for all I care if we're going to throw out, you know, scheme options, just like what's reasonable in the vacuum of Oklahoma State football this year. I I don't know what there was to change.
1: Yeah. And if they were to bring on somebody like Arroyo, it's still going to be and I need to dive into it a little bit more. I'm more remembering off his Oregon days and what we did when he was here at Oklahoma State, but it's still going to be that zone outside oh, yeah. stretch scheme. So um, thanks for the question. I, that's a great question. I I looked at it earlier and I was trying to think, and that was really all I could come up with, but it's a really good question. Uh, Brian Metcalf at Brian J. Metcalf. Brian, thanks as always for the questions. He says, how do you rate a position coach on their job? He's not touching coordinators, but how do you look at, let's say our tight end coach and tell that he did a good job, then rate our coaching staff. So, it's really hard as a fan. Yeah. And Kate, correct me if you if you have if you think I'm wrong or if you have a different way you think to evaluate them, but I think the only two ways are recruiting, which still factors in other coaches as well and your head coach, recruiting the 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 uh, like caliber of recruits they bring in each year compared to the rest of the conference, the rest of the nation, and comparatively to what Oklahoma state has brought in historically at that position. I think you got to look at all three because, you know, due to budgets, due to size of schools, blue bloods, you can't just compare it straight up to the rest of the nation. Every single year, I think you got to look at those three spots and then development at those yep. positions. Did they take a guy that started as a sophomore He continued to start all the way through his career. Did he get better? Did he stay the same? Obviously, probably not going to get worse, but how much better did he get? I think really those are the only two ways because you don't know how much they're involved in calling the plays. You don't know what it's like internally, just relationship-wise. And even with recruiting, I don't know how much other factors are playing in, like head coach, things like that. So – I think those are really the only two spots you can look at, and they're still not that clear of a look, clear of a picture.
0: Yeah, and the the other one, as you kind of said, that we'll never get a glimpse of. Oklahoma State does a really good job of keeping things within the walls of the program. You'll never get a glimpse of infighting. Like So it may be happening. I would say that that's one that does bear weight against a coach's success. And would be a way you would evaluate, but you and I fans would never know because you don't ever hear about, you know, a knockdown drag out between a a coach and a a player in a meeting room. You just won't hear about that. So I would say that's another piece of it, but I think the development thing is something that Oklahoma State has been credited with as being among the best, if not the best in the country at. So I think the last piece is. You know, can can they can they figure out a way to recruit a little bit better? But yeah, I think your your criteria for the evaluation
1: of a coach is is spot on. I don't really have much to change there. Uh, really, another great question. Thanks for that one, Brian. Next, we got Philip at OKTXARPoke. Okay, Philip runs ten twelve network. Give him a follow there. Give him a follow on the account I just listed off. Philip, thanks so much for the question. This is a great one. We hit on it already. So, Kate, I'll just throw it over to you just for any final thoughts. Yeah, you sure. Have, but Hudson card to OSU, <laughs> or just will OSU go after a QB in the transfer portal given the rumors surrounding Spencer Sanders? Yes,
0: to the last one. I actually wonder if Oklahoma State does anyway. Let's say Spencer Sanders does come back. Do you? I don't know if there is any chance. Well, I think there is a chance Oklahoma State takes a quarterback out of the transfer portal if Spencer Sanders comes back, but I don't think they would just take anybody. I think if Hudson Card wanted to come to Oklahoma State, you get him in Stillwater regardless, because, again, I think what you've seen this year is what happens with a steep drop off at quarterback. I think Oklahoma State could use some some experience there. the question is, would he want to do that? I think Hudson Card is a legitimate option if Spencer Sanders were to move on. It's the best way I can say it. I think there would be a possibility of that taking place.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I I think if Sanders moves on, I I think they try to do something at the quarterback spot. And again, not a knock on Rangel and Gunnar and Flores. I just think they need some more time to develop. Agreed. Uh, Great question, Philip. Thanks so much. Next, we got Robbie Maples at Robbie, not Bobby. He says, what does the future look like for OK State? Skill positions, QB, coaching roles. With the addition of this new facility upgrade, is the athletic department... I I guess he's just asking if that's the right way to use the money for OK State football on that second part of the question. And I'm going to add this question in there as well. Brody Smith at Brody W. Smith says, look into your crystal ball... When the Pokes line up for the first game of 2023, who are your projected starters? Mm. It, I mean, we, we kind of went through it. You know, we talked about an Etienne, Birmingham, Wilson, Woodard, Kowecki or Brooks offensive line, and you could insert Brooks for Hunter Woodard if he's the GoPro. Receivers-wise, you know, Bray, Presley, Richardson, both greens, Ollie. And if you've got Spencer Sanders back, that I think that's your offense. I mean, do you have any issues there? Nope.
0: No, I don't at all. I I I really don't have much to change there.
1: And then on defense, Colin Oliver, Colin Clay. Question mark right now at defensive tackle. Definitely. I guess we'll just say Sam Wella since he does have an extra year. Nathan Latou, Cobb, Benson, Muhammad, Harper, Daniels, Rawls, and Black. I I don't think the ones is that difficult if everybody were to come back. It's when people start entering the transfer portal and how do you do the twos? I, I think that's kind of the big question mark there. Coaching wise, to that part of the question, we kind of went through all that. Facility upgrades. I mean I I don't really, that's kid, you know, that's not really my, my area. <laughs> well, I actually <laughs>
0: see, let, let, let me take this Dustin. Yeah. Yes. I think it is necessary. Um, I will say that $55 million is a lot of money. Could you get 5 million of that into an NIL collective? Maybe that would be a good use of, of funds. Um, at the same time they're trying to keep the facilities up to date, Um, and competitive with the rest of the country. I would say Oklahoma state does a really good job of that because they are up to date and competitive with the rest of the country. Um, And the fan experience is unbelievable in Stillwater. You hear opposing fans come in all the time, even, you know, non Oklahoma state or visiting fans. You'll hear people just come to Stillwater for games and love the time there. So I do think it is a worthwhile investment. I would say if you're fundraising right now for facilities and not NIL, um, there could be a, a an avenue to reallocate something because I don't think let's say a million dollars gets reallocated to an NIL fund that is a significant amount of money to each player on a roster and I think that makes a big difference so it's something to think about and I, I'm sure that's actually where the question was leading you know asking if that's a good use of those funds I in, in Chad we in Chad Weiberg I trust is what I'll say to that
1: yeah I, no I, I agree I think I think that was a great breakdown and much better than I would have done. So thank you for taking that. And those are great questions, Brody and uh, Robbie. Really appreciate those. Thanks for sending them in. We've got one more here uh, from Delano Osborne at Delano Osborne. Is his Twitter handle? He says, "Going forward, should we see more of a traditional tight end and act should should we see more of a traditional tight end and actually use him instead of this useless cowboy back that's yielded one <laughs> TD in two years." I actually love that call out because you see the tight ends pretty heavily utilized on other teams. The issue I always go back to is Oklahoma state is always so stacked at wide receiver. How many targets do you really want to give to the tight end? But I think more than what we have in prior years, but the guys we were rolling out this year were Owens, a first time guy there, Cassidy, who's more of a fullback type to his point and Schultz, who's more of a fullback type. So I think you have got to go and recruit some of these guys, like a Tabor Shetron, even a Quentin Stewart, who caught that touchdown pass, can do a little bit of both. And, and maybe again, I hate to just keep going back to people's jobs, but maybe it's time to move on from Coach Mack and do if if it's a recruiting issue there, as we talked about. That's one of the ways you evaluate the the coaches. It, maybe you've got to go in a different different direction. Maybe change the name back to tight end. Well, you just know, and now that there, we're but... talking
0: about, I mean, I, I don't mean to cut you off Dustin, but now that we're talking about cowboy back, I mean, we just listed off what makes a good coach. I, everybody's favorite player, Jelani Woods, went off last night in Monday Night Football. That's a guy that was recruited to Oklahoma State as a quarterback, developed into a cowboy back, and it didn't go all that well at Oklahoma State. So something to keep in mind. I think it's a great question. Um, and it's probably a good one to wrap up on because I could go for a long time on the Cowboy back. There's no question. Dustin, I think that's it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I've got some background noise here at my house, so it might be time to
0: wrap up. It's not the Oscars playing you off. It's uh, it's your daughter and my daughter uh, in the back <laughs> room. So hopefully you can't hear any of that. But we'll get you out of here. It's a fun one. It was important that we did that. We, we broke down the 2022 season. We've got a bowl game coming up, but it's been an interesting one, Dustin, unique to us, but one that uh, I enjoyed with you nonetheless. So without further ado, that has been the Feels Like 45 podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Feels Like 45 pod You can follow us on Instagram there as well. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu, and you can follow me at CadeWeb. We'll see you back here next week. Go Pokes.